So we're looking this uh, summer at uh, the books of 2nd and 3rd John. We're up to 3rd John uh, uh, today. And um, it's uh, <clears throat> important for us to, to remember just um, a couple of things about uh, John and about uh, what he's trying to accomplish in these little short letters that he writes. Um, one of the things that I think we probably forget when we come to a, a, a letter like this is um, that John uh, was a fisherman, was working a boat <clears throat> in his family's business when Jesus called him to himself. Very young man, right? Um, and so by the time we get to this letter, uh, John has been uh, knowing, been known by, and following Jesus Christ for maybe 50 years, maybe 60 years, a long time, right? And so um, the, and the interesting thing about it, when we, when we see John in the different uh, uh, vignettes about him in the Gospels, one of the things that we learn about him is, at least as a young man, he is hot-headed, maybe even angry. We know, I've mentioned this before, that uh, when a particular city refused to receive Jesus, John asked Jesus, you know, Lord, just give us the word and we'll call down fire from heaven on these people and do away with them. And here we have him now as an old man writing to us about truth and love. So <clears throat> one of the reasons that it's good for us to do this and to spend some time on these texts and to see his heart, how big it is, how warm it is for his people is for us to know that one of the fundamental truths that we forget about uh, the work of God in the world is, is that people change. And that God is literally in the business of changing people. Uh, I think for many of us, we think that that's, especially uh, those of us uh, who've known other people for a long time or look around, we tend to think, well, they're always the same. And yet what God is doing, is, especially across the course of someone's life, is changing them, right? Through suffering, through good times, through uh, uh, teaching them, uh, uh, all, all of those things. And so that's, that's important for us to, to kind of put in the background as we, as we look at this today, because the man who's writing this is a man who not only has been redeemed by Jesus Christ, but who's changed. And so we need to hear what he has to say, just as this little church that he writes to needs to hear what he uh, has to say as well. So uh, in light of that, let me uh, pray, and then uh, we'll read the text. Lord, we, we come to you today thanking you for this. We are often cold and faithless. We are often forgetful of your grace and mercy. Lord, it is so good uh, to be reminded, as we've already been reminded this morning, of uh, your unchanging promise uh, your covenant love to your people, the fact that you hold on to us and nothing or nobody can ever break your hold upon your own. So I pray that would encourage us today, that would give us um, joy, uh, it would give us peace, uh, and it would give us um, all just, well, you, that you would make us more and more to look like you. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So third John, 
uh, verses 1 and 2. Text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So it's important for us to think about a couple of things here as we look into this text. The reason why we've, we're, we're uh, also why we're looking at this is because John has a lot to say in Second and Third John about hospitality. Now, hospitality is a loaded word uh, in our culture, right? Because uh, when we talk about hospitality, when we talk about welcoming people, we talk about wowing them, right? Isn't that right? That's why we have Pinterest right? So you can see how everybody else is doing it, and you can feel bad that your house doesn't look as good, or your food doesn't look as good, or your whatever your thing is, is not as good as, as, as your neighbor, right? So, you, you know, I stand at the, at the grocery store line buying grocery stores, and I see these pictures of these beautiful homes, beautiful people, uh, and I think they would never invite me into their house because I would I'd spill my drink. I would uh, uh, probably uh, do some sort of faux pas, mess some, some, something up. So I, I don't actually want to be uh, experience hospitality from Joanna Gaines because she's too good looking and uh, her house is too perfect. And uh, I, you know, but there she is condemning me as she stands there uh, smiling lovingly at me. No sweat, everything's beautifully put together. That's not what hospitality is in the New Testament. The pressure's off. In fact, if we are hospitable to impress, we are sinning. Right? Hospitality in the New Testament is simply the welcome that we extend to other people in the name of Jesus. So whatever I have and whatever I am, I open myself up and I welcome you uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's, it's, that, it's that simple. Uh, and so whether you've got pinto beans and cornbread or a five-course meal, whether you have a cup of coffee or just a glass of water, whether you have a beautiful home or you have a tent, it doesn't matter. The dynamic that we're talking about here and the dynamic that John is going to get at is that the welcome that we offer to one another, the hospitality that we experience is something simply uh, that is driven by the fact that we have been loved by Jesus Christ and we extend that love in his name to everyone, to everyone. Uh, my my friend uh, Jack Miller years ago used to talk about uh, that he had the reputation as a pastor that he welcomed everyone. And uh, but one of the things that was funny and only Jack could welcome people this way he would welcome anyone. But when people would come to him and he would meet them, the first thing he would do is he would hand them a copy of Martin Luther's commentary on the uh, New Testament epistle of Galatians and say, "Here, I welcome you. Read this, and we can talk more." Right? <laughs> uh, now, it's amazing as you think about that. We think, well, that would be a pretty crazy thing to do. But, you know, he, a lot of people's lives got changed because Jack Miller welcomed them and handed them that commentary. 
So as we look at this text, as we look at this, and as we unpack what it means to experience hospitality, what it means to be welcomed, I want you to understand that the pressure is off, that all you, all that we're talking about here is simply in the name of Jesus Christ, having our eyes open to the possibility that he might bring someone into our circle that we can welcome. And let me also be clear about this. This, you know, The New Testament, this description of, of, of uh, hospitality is not just for extroverts. In fact, John, if you were to say to John, John, I'm not, I'm a, I'm not an extrovert, I'm, I'm an introvert, he would look at you like, I don't know what you're talking about because he wouldn't know what you were talking about. Those kind of categories and those kinds of ways of thinking about things didn't really uh, function. Then he's simply saying, welcome people in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, notice the first thing that he says about himself is, and Luke, you can put my notes up there, is that he's an elder, right? The elder. We talked about this briefly when we looked at, at Second John, but one of the things to note about this is, is that he's not, unlike uh, uh, some of the other uh, letters in the New Testament, uh, this letter is a little bit more personal. It's a, it's a letter from one individual to another. Now, as we'll see, the intention of, of John is for Gaius, the recipient of this letter, is to share it with his little church there that he's a part of. But this is a very warm, personal exchange between two men. So John calls himself the elder, and notice that in the ESV and in most uh, translations of the Bible that, that the, the elder, the, the first letter, the E, is small. He's not declaring anything uniquely authoritative about him, but he is admitting that he's, he's old. John's probably writing this letter from exile, from, from uh, the uh, island of Patmos, the same place where he wrote, writes uh, Revelation. And here's a man who has been following Christ, as I mentioned, all of these years, and has followed Christ even into exile and into, uh, uh, has suffered uh, much uh, and probably seen people that he knew and loved uh, killed and persecuted for uh, the testimony of Jesus Christ and for his name, right? So, so here he is, he's an, he's an old man, and he's writing to the church. Now, I've, I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to say it again. We as a culture and we as a church love to discriminate, right? We make choices all the time. Sometimes those, sometimes those choices are good, but one of the things that we probably don't think very much about is, is that we discriminate, certainly, uh, we're tempted to, to, to discriminate, certainly on the basis of difference, of race, and that sort of thing, but we do it across ages too, don't we? Right? We, uh, uh, and I know as a younger person, especially when we were planting the church, um, uh, I was just 33, I think, when we, when we started, 32. Uh, I wanted people younger than me to come. I wanted to be, you know, the, the senior person here. And God's answered that prayer. <laughs> right? Recently, uh, I was preaching at a Presbytery meeting, and I remember as a younger man being terrified of that because of all the scary old guys who would judge you. And then I got up and realized there was one guy in the room older than me that I had become the scary old guy, and uh, that I was what, uh, was, uh, as a younger man, I thought was everything that was wrong with our Presbytery. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser or more like Jesus. 
But it would be good for us to recognize that if we have friends and family people in our lives who have known and been known, who love and been loved by Jesus Christ for a long, long time, they might have something to help us with. And one of the things that they might actually be able to help us with is to share with us, as John shares with, with Gaius here, the reality that our God is faithful, and he is faithful over the long haul. That God takes a long view of the world, that he takes a long view of our lives. And so we tend to be focused so much on the here and now, whereas God's, uh, uh, the, the, and, and certainly a person who has been uh, changed and who has had a long-term relationship with Christ understands that, uh, that God works, that he changes people, that he changes circumstances, and that he is always at work, even if it's painfully and sometimes uh, frustratingly slow, God is faithful. And we need people who have experienced that faithfulness over years to help us and to speak those words to us and to remind us of that. We tend not in our culture to value older people, sadly. Uh, and, and again, just because you're older doesn't mean that you can tell somebody else what to do. But those of us who are younger, we would do well to listen to what older folks have to say to us, especially older folks who have had a long time experience with, with Jesus. So he simply writes this as the elder to this man Gaius. We don't know who Gaius was. There are a number of places in the New Testament where uh, different people are named as Gaius. This is a very common name. It's not, not a, you know, a, a, we don't know exactly who this person is, but we uh, think that he is a leader in a church probably in or around the town of Ephesus. Ephesus because that's where uh, John had spent uh, the last part of his ministry before he went uh, into exile. And so he is writing this letter to him, and he begins this letter also um, with uh, simply saying to him that he loves him in the truth. Now, I want to be clear about something about this uh, today, and that, that's this. Uh, all of us need to come to grips with the truth. All the, 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 knowing the truth of the gospel, knowing the reality of Jesus Christ, knowing uh, the, that there is truth that is objectively true, that is God's truth, uh, is a matter literally of life or death. And so it is a key thing for us to come to grips with the fact that, that what the gospel is talking about and what Jesus is talking about, what John will be talking to us about, is not simply uh, 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 good feelings or, or, or those sorts of things, but that the fellowship that exists there, that the work that is happening uh, in uh, this church and in John's life and Gaius's life is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ has entered this world in the flesh, that he's lived, that he died, that he rose again. And that as we see this about him, that that is the hope of the world. That is the hope of the church. And that without that, and without being connected to that, without belonging to Jesus Christ, there is no hope. That truth is there, period. It, it is, and it, it, it matters. Because without that truth, we have no gospel to proclaim. We have no words of hope to give to, to people. We have, we're, we're stuck in our sin. But because of the truth, of Jesus Christ. It's not just another narrative. It's not just a way to kind of make sense of the world. This really happened. 
He was a real person in the flesh. Because that's really true, uh, we have a message for the world. Now, the issue for that is, and, and a message for ourselves, but the issue about that is that that truth is supposed to be manifest in a particular way. The truth manifests itself in changing people to look more and more like the truth himself, like Jesus Christ. And the primary way that we do that is becoming angry and bitter and defensive, right? Now, we know the truth, and we're angry and we're bitter and we're defensive about it because nobody else knows the truth, or because the, everyone is hostile to the truth. Well, of course they are. The, this Gaius and this tiny little church, remember, John is writing about love and truth from exile. <laughs> I mean, he, he knows exactly the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, even that does not change him one bit. He is willing to say that if you understand the love of God for you, if you understand the truth of the gospel, it will manifest itself in love. It will manifest itself, as he says here in particular, uh, in being warm and welcoming to other believers, particularly. Warm and welcoming to everyone, but particularly to Christians. Why is that? Because the church that is being written to here is tiny. There are, there, uh, you know, we, I don't know what you think about the church. And I don't mean Western Presbyterian Church. I'm talking about the church at large. But the, the way we tend to think about the church in America is it's a force for political change. Right? Or we think of the church as, as having some sort of leverage. That the church has some sort of, of impact that way, right? Well, what if we were so tiny, so small, so poor, so pitiful that the only people that take notice of us are the people that persecute us? I mean, in the millions of people who were alive at this time, near the end of the first century, when John is writing this, there are not very many Christians in the world, and the, and the Christians who are in the world are suffering and struggling for their very existence. And so it wasn't a big, powerful political entity. It wasn't, it wasn't a, 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 an institution that uh, had already had centuries, literally millennia behind it, of, of shaping and forming uh, uh, the, the culture and the world around it. It's a tiny, fledgling, suffering, beleaguered group of people. And so when these people confess Christ, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's likely to cost them everything. And so when they see one another, when they welcome one another, when they run into another believer somewhere else out in the world, it is, it's, a, it's a profound thing. And it is, it is a, 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 a hospitality now comes to take on not just a picture of who Jesus is and how he interacts with people, but it was necessary for their very survival. Because they lived in a hostile and uh, uh, often violent environment because they were followers of Christ. And so it is a, it's a, when, he said, when, when John says here that we greet one another and that we send warm greetings with one another, that, is, uh, that, that was an essential and powerful thing. I remember um, years ago when our kids were little, we were on vacation uh, in Maine and uh, um, 
you know, one of the things when you when you go to Maine and you go to the the coast of Maine, you know, a lot of people talk about the beach. Well, the beach in Maine is not like the beach here. Okay, it's gravel. Okay, and it's cold. We used to have contests about you know who can stay in the water the longest uh, because it's about 60, 65 degrees on a good day. Okay. I remember swimming with the boys and showing them that the old man could stay in the water longer than them, and I did. And then my feet were so numb, I couldn't get them to work on the, the ladder of the dock to get out. So I really showed them, you know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, boys. Well, anyway, we, we, I, one of the things that, it, it wasn't a great beach day, which meant it was about 45, and we were uh, in July, and we were, uh, so we needed something to do. So uh, a hero of mine from history, his home was near where we were in, in Maine, a, a man named Joshua Chamberlain, tremendous mustache. You should look him up sometime. But anyway, he was a war hero. He was a, a governor of Maine repeatedly. He was president of Bowdoin College. Uh, his house was, was nearby, and so I made the kids go with me and tour his house. They still remember this. They still talk about it because uh, the boys, my boys, were there, and they wore our Vacation Bible School t-shirts that they had gotten here at church earlier in the summer. And why were they wearing them? I don't know. We weren't, you know, they, I was just glad that they had clothes on, and we were all together in one place, and there was this couple there at the house visiting as well, tourists from Nebraska, and they looked at the boys' T-shirts and they said, our church did that. So as weird and kind of funny as that was, here we are standing in this old house in Maine meeting fellow brothers and sisters in Christ from 2,000 miles away. That was a cool thing. It's not that cool. But if there were only a few thousand Christians in the whole world and you run into one another, that really is a precious thing. So greeting one another, extending hospitality to one another was so important. But more than that, more than that, when we greet one another, we look like Jesus. Now, let me be clear about uh, uh, what, that, what, what I'm getting at there. Uh, one of the things that you see Jesus doing, especially after his resurrection, is his words, his initial words of greeting to his disciples. When he appears to them in the upper room, the first thing out of his mouth is he says, peace be to you. That's essential, right? Because uh, they had deserted him, some had denied him, uh, and they had fled when, when he was crucified. And yet, his first words to them, when he comes and he sees them and he appears among them, is he wants them to understand that by what he has done, they don't understand this yet, but what he has done is he has made peace for them with God and that their peace from now on would be uh, manifest in their lives by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That that's what he's saying to them. Listen, I'm, I'm, I, I greet you with words of peace. That, that 
And, and Jesus is going to be, uh, one of the things that he's going to be doing, and one of the things that we see him doing is that he greets people. Now, you hear that and you think, you know, I don't really care about that that much. You know, the greeting, just, okay, that's a, that's a thing that people do. Jesus thinks of it as something that's important enough that it is a key and essential part of what he is doing right now. Did you know that? Uh, early in uh, the life of the church, you know, next slide, we, we see the martyrdom of Stephen. And what do we see happening there, right? You know, Stephen preaches that great sermon that makes everybody furious with him. They take him out of Jerusalem and they're going to kill him. And it says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, that should jump off the page at you. Why? Because what do we say in the creed? That he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, right? When, and that's, that's true. What we mean by that in the creed is that, that Jesus is sitting on the throne, that he is Lord of the world, right? But when Stephen, as he is getting ready to die, looks into heaven, what does he see? He sees Jesus standing up. Did Jesus just get tired? Is, are the chairs in heaven uncomfortable? What, what is going on here? Why is he doing that? Jesus is standing, as we will see, right? Uh, they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, and as they were stoning, Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, he sees him, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What's happening there? Jesus, Stephen sees Jesus standing in heaven to greet him, to welcome him. It matters to Jesus that Stephen is coming to him. Jesus wants to be there to greet him, to hug him, to kiss him, to do, to do whatever it is that, 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 to, to, to welcome him. You see, that is part of the ministry of Jesus right now. Jesus is, 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 is part of what he does is not only does he intercede for us, not only does he, does he rule for us, but his heart is manifest to us in that when we enter glory, he greets us. He warmly receives us. He welcomes us. That's a part of his character. That's a, a part of his ministry. That's a part of what he does. Now, we probably don't think, think, uh, think very much of that, but when you greet someone else in the name of Jesus Christ, you are mimicking, you are looking like Jesus. You're ministering in the way that Jesus ministers. You are doing something that is spiritually valuable and important because it reflects who he is. It reflects his ministry, and it looks like what he is doing right now. So I know that's hard and challenging for many of us because we, um, in our culture, we just aren't super good at this, right? I mean, it's just, it's just something that's, that's hard. I was thinking about it this morning that um, uh, our, our, I usually like to get here early, get, get myself prayed up, that's what I call it, before people start arriving. And then I usually like to come out and interact with our deacons because without our deacons, we couldn't do what we do here and they make it happen. Uh, and they do everything from picking the trash up, making sure that the building's functioning, that all of these things are happening. And it is great to be with them, to talk to them, to encourage them. I saw one today hook, well, it's a long story. Anyway, they we collect um, shopping carts, part of our ministry, from, uh, from the Walmart. 
and uh, one of our deacons was collecting them and towing them behind his car. It was pretty cool, really cool. Uh, so I get to greet them. My friend and deacon, uh, Ed Bowman, I saw him this morning, and I thought, you know, if we were in the first century, uh, I should greet him with a kiss. But we're both glad we don't kiss each other, and uh, it's good enough for us just to say hello to one another, right? Uh, but the fact of the matter is, that kind of greeting, that kind of warmth, is not just something we do because we're mannerly, but we do that because that reflects our Lord. Jesus died, rose again, so that what he is able to offer to us is his greeting, his welcome, warmly into his fellowship. And we do the same when we welcome one another. This is not just a thing we do to to grow the church or to get people to come back to church or to be nice to people. We do that because it reflects the very character of our God. Our God is a welcoming God. But not only that, John goes on to say in his blessing here is that uh, he prays that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So what does is, what is John's blessing mean? Well, some people have misinterpreted this to mean that, that what we should pray and that what God's desire for us is, is that we would always be healthy and wealthy and that we would, you know, everything would, would come up roses for us always. I don't think that's it at all, but I do think what it is, is it's a reflection of our love for one another that we want to see uh, in our lives, in the, the way we live and interact day to day, that the mercy of God and that the work of God is alive and well in our lives and that we're doing okay, that we have generally good health, that, that our lives are going in a, in a generally good direction. It doesn't mean that what God, Jesus died to give us was, you know, to make us wealthy and, and happy, but it does mean that it is a blessing for us and that we should desire that for each other. Now, let me just ask you, you know, when was the last time you delighted in someone else's blessing? that you delighted in someone else's good health, that you delighted in the fact that the Lord was blessing someone? And when was the last time you delighted in the fact that someone suffered or that someone struggled, right? Sometimes we do that, don't we? We look around us and we think, ah, they had that coming. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that happened, right? Well, that, that's not a real reflection of the work of the gospel in us, right? What, what, what John desires here is, is that things would simply go well uh, with his friends. Uh, we should wish that upon one another. We should even, we should even uh, uh, call out that for our enemies, right? Because we know the New Testament tells us that it is the very kindness of God that leads us to repentance, that we want to see the gentleness and the kindness and the grace of God move in people who may not even be uh, aware of him and that that would change their lives and change, uh, change them forever. And then lastly, one of the things that you notice about this is that he says that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And so would it be a blessing to you for someone to wish your physical health to be as good as your spiritual health? Right? I think that's, I think that's a, 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 a good question for us, right? And I, and I say that now not to, not to make you feel bad or to feel like, you know, that 
to, to condemn because the pathway to good spiritual health is very simple. It's just simply, Jesus, I need help. Jesus, would you help me? Give me the gift of repentance. Change me, help me, restore me, strengthen me, encourage me. That's, that's the simple pathway to, to spiritual health, right? It's, there, you don't have to have a great exercise regimen. You don't, you don't have to, uh, you know, do anything other than just simply cry out to Jesus because this welcoming, warm, loving Savior wants you to grow in his grace. He's more invested in you changing and you becoming more like him than even you are. He's more interested in your good spiritual health than, than we are. He knows that you struggle. He knows your coldness. He, he knows your temptations, and yet that does not repel him. It actually moves him towards you. And so if you want to have a sense of, of, of good spiritual health, the, the, the person who is growing, the person who is changing, the person who is spiritually healthy is the person who repents. It's that simple. And it's that, that, that wonderful and that gracious. If you want to know how healthy you are spiritually, are you repenting? That's all. That's all, that's, that, that, that's all that you need. And, and if you can't think of anything to repent of, ask your friends and the people who live with you to give you a list. <laughs> they, can, they can help you with that. I'm certain they can help you with that. Listen, uh, it is good news for us. One of the things that we, we tend to do is we tend to take the gospel and we make it about principles and about these kind of external things. And yet what we see John doing is taking the very truth of the gospel and giving it a heart, giving it warmth, making it something that is welcoming, that feels like what our ideal of home would be. When we experience that, when we see that, and we extend ourselves in that way, we're looking like our Lord. Let's pray that he would do that in us. Lord, we, we come to you today, ask you to do this. We have the truth. You, you have made it clear to us how uh, that you are our creator, that you are our redeemer, and that you're Lord. And I pray that the, that truth would make us warmer, more gracious, uh, uh, people who are quick to welcome and to greet others in your name. Would you do that work in us as you did it uh, in your friend John? Would you change us and make us to look more and more like you? We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to use uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 as our uh, confession of sin. Uh, I will uh, read uh, uh, the, what's in bold, and there will be a question after each one of these declarative statements to give you an opportunity uh, to ask yourself and to repent uh, as we hold this great uh, picture of love up against uh, our own hearts and lives. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not possessive. 
Love is not boastful or proud. Love is courteous. Love is not selfish. Love is not irritable or bitter. Love delights in truth and righteousness. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Please stand with us as we worship.